This message was recorded live at Elevate Church in Erie, Pennsylvania. As followers of Christ, we follow a God who was crucified, dead, buried, got up, walked out of the tomb, demonstrating that there's nothing that you and I can't walk out of. He doesn't love me based on my performance. God loves me based on my position. It matters so much that we imitate Christ and we live out those principles. There's nothing that you could do. There's there's no great sin that you could have ever committed that would be a barrier between you and Jesus. To learn more about Elevate, how you can get connected, or how you can support the work that Elevate is doing in Erie, visit elevateerie.tv. Let's pray, God, thank you today that you take us just as we are. We love you. For those of us, God, and have crossed that line of faith that stand before you redeemed today because we've, we've professed you as Lord and Savior of our life, once again, we're just reminded how grateful we are for that. That no matter our sin, no matter what we carry, past, present, or future, God, that when you look at us, you see the sacrifice of your son. And we will never be the same. Help us to never forget, God, who we are in you. Help us to remember how much you love us, how much you care for us. Even when we fail, when we feel like we don't measure up, God, just thank you for the reminder that you take us just as we are. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen, church, let's celebrate God one more time. All right, all right, you guys can have a seat. Hey, I'm pumped up. We are uh, getting ready next week to reintroduce our fourth service to, to relaunch that, which by the way, we sent out like 44,000 mailers that were supposed to hit like this Wednesday or Thursday. They came a little early. So a lot of people think we have a 1230 service today. We don't, all right? Just so you guys know, uh, hopefully you're here and you, you come to check this one out. Um, but come back next week. We're starting this new series, uh, series and you're going to hear more about that. Today, though, I want to kind of talk about, let me ask you this question before we jump in. I want you to turn to your neighbor and I want you to tell them your favorite Dessert, like your favorite dessert to eat. Now, I know some of you are like, I don't eat dessert. That's fine, fitness freak. We're glad that you're here. But if you like sugar, tell your neighbor your favorite dessert, favorite thing to eat. All right, all right, then, then shut up and let the other person tell you. Some of you are just talking the whole time. Let them tell you what their favorite thing is to eat. Uh, let's see, how many of you well, let's just, let, let me just dive right in and tell you what my favorite is, all right? My, my favorite thing to eat, just so you guys know, will be served in heaven, okay? I, I believe it's on the list up there. And, and many of you have had this, but before I show you what it is, um, it's, it's something that, like, you can eat a million of them. It's like as soon as, especially, especially if they're, they're hot and they're now, hot and now, all right? This right here. How many of you, be honest, when you were telling somebody what your favorite thing is, how many of you actually said Krispy Kreme? Anybody in this room? All right, sweet. Two of you, two and a half of you, awesome. Um, this is one of my favorite desserts. And if you don't, if you've never experienced a Krispy Kreme donut, for some of you, it's your lucky day, all right? I'll just throw that out there because I am going to share in a moment. But let me tell you about these. These things start off on this like, this journey 
if you've ever gone to Krispy Kreme, you've witnessed this, this journey that happens in the life of a Krispy Kreme donut. It starts off on this like, like conveyor belt thing, and it just kind of goes through all these motions. All of a sudden, you know, like rising and getting bigger, it's cooking. And then it gets dumped into this glorious golden grease-like thing. And they're swimming in there. They're getting like cooked, you know, toasted brown, and then it flips it over. And then it takes it on this ride under this waterfall of icing. You know what I'm talking about? Like, it's, it's unbelievable, and the outcome are these little gems right here, all right? These Krispy Kreme donuts, and these are some of the best things on earth, and when they're hot, you could eat this whole box and not know it, okay? Not saying that I've done that from experience. I'm just saying that you could eat this whole thing. How many of you would love a Krispy Kreme donut right now that I'm talking about? it? All right, because I'm going to share these. Why don't you go ahead and pass that around? Get that started. Get that started. Now... What I just witnessed for you, or what I just uh, did for you guys, let me, let me give you some napkins too, by the way. You're going to need these. These things are pretty messy. They, they're probably not going to make it that far back, all right, just so you guys know. There's only 12. You could, you could break them. We could try that. Um, what I just witnessed for, or, or demonstrated to you is something that the church calls evangelism. All I did was to tell you about something that I love, something that I have personal experience with, something that, 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 that I'm passionate to a degree about in such a way that they compelled many of you to say, hey, I want some of that, right? That's, that's what evangelism is, and that's what we're called to do as a church. Now, some people think this is more evangelism. You ever met this guy? Stand on the street corner, hey, you're going to hell, turn or burn, baby. You know, if you die, you don't know Jesus, you're going to fry, you know, that kind of stuff. You ever met that guy? I was at a, a, at a an NFL game not that long ago, and there was a guy on the street corner yelling at people, telling them that they were going to hell, telling them that they need to know who Jesus is. Now, this is really easy to do with people, you know, that you don't know. It's a little more difficult when you talk about some people that you know, people that you have a relationship. So today, what I want to do is I want to talk about what we're called to do as a church, how we're called as a church to point people to Jesus. And not that way, not like the bullhorn, but more like the Krispy Kreme. And if you have your Bible, turn to John chapter 1. John chapter 1 is where we're going to be. Um, and we're going to talk about what it means to point people to Jesus. Because the same thing that I did with the Krispy Kreme, we're called to do as the church. Jesus didn't give us the great suggestion. He gave us the great commission, and that was to tell people about him. So if you're a follower of Christ, if you could stand there and sing, thank you, Jesus, just as I am, I've come, you know, thank you for redeeming me. If that's you, now you have a job to do. And people will push back and say, well, I'm not gifted. I'm not, you know, an evangelist. You don't have to be gifted at it. It's your calling. Every single one of us who's a follower of Jesus is called to do this. And the funny thing is, you don't have a problem telling the person next to you what your favorite dessert is, right? Like, no one had an issue with that. No one had a problem with me talking about the Krispy Kreme donut. No one in the room denied the existence of the Krispy Kreme donut. No one got mad. No one's going to start an anti-Krispy Kreme donut campaign. No one has an issue with that. But we find it hard to tell people about the, the thing that we shouldn't have any trouble telling people about. The one who came and died and rescued and saved us from our sin. But we find it difficult. And I don't want us to be the church where we just show up on Sunday, we worship God, we proclaim, you know, thank you, Jesus, and we do that in these walls, but Monday through Friday, 
we live our lives as though he doesn't exist. Don't want us to be that church. And I don't think you guys want us to be that church either. You know, I operate from the premise that most of you, you really want to know what it is that Jesus wants to do in and through your life, how he wants you to operate outside of these, these walls. And I'm convinced that, that you want that too. But the, one of the problems in the church is that we say we believe in God. We say we believe in God's word, but then many of you in this room, you would also say there are people in your life, there are friends and family members in your life that if they were to die today, they would spend eternity in separation from God. And here's what you'll say is, man, I really wish that they would have known. Or I really wish you know, that, that they would hear about Jesus. That's what we would say but when we're personally challenged to do something about it, we draw the line in the sand and say, I can't do that. That's not my, my gift. It doesn't matter, again, if it's your gift. It's your calling. It's the responsibility of every Christ follower in the room. So I want to ask you today three questions, all right? Three questions. I want to have you answer these. I want you to write these down. Um, it's going to be fun. It's going to be challenging, especially if you're from a church background. Three questions. Then we're gonna go home, come back tonight, and we're gonna party in the parking lot, all right? You guys with me? Did we tell you guys that we're serving Moe's tonight in the parking lot? Okay, I don't know if we mentioned that, but just so you know, Moe's is catering and is going to be awesome. Here we go, here we go, first question. When did you meet Jesus? When did I meet Jesus? Now that's, that's a big question. Because I'm not asking you, when did you get confirmed? I'm not asking you when you got baptized as an infant. I didn't ask that. I'm not asking you when you prayed a prayer at seven years old because someone scared you and said, hey, do you want to go to heaven or do you want to go to hell? I'm not asking you if you prayed a prayer that said, dear God, I don't want to go to hell. All that was was a prayer saying, dear God, I don't want to go to hell. I'm asking you, when did you meet Jesus? And if you would sit here today and you'd say, well, when you ask like that, I'm not really sure, or I don't know, I would nail that one down if I were you. Because you don't answer, I'm not sure, I don't know, to other important questions in your life. If I was to ask you, hey, are you married? And you were to say, I don't know, I'm not sure. Like that doesn't fly, right? Or hey, do you have kids? I don't know, I'm not sure. Maybe that's a real response from some of you in this room, I don't know. But you don't answer that way to other important questions in your life. So when did you meet Jesus? Here we go. John chapter 1 verse 35 says this. Uh, this is John writing about John the Baptist. So I know it's a little confusing. But it says this in verse 35. The, the next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. John had disciples. A lot of these guys uh, that were prophets, you know, the, John's job was to point the way to the Messiah, to Jesus. They had people that would follow them. So he had disciples as well. When he saw Jesus passing by, this is what he said, look, the Lamb of God. Now notice the exclamation point. Notice the punctuation. He didn't whisper this, all right? He didn't say, look, the Lamb of God. That's not what he said. He said, look, there's the Lamb of God. Now that phrase had incredible meaning in this culture, in the Hebrew culture. Today, outside of these walls, you say, look, the Lamb of God, people are gonna look at you crazy, right? It's, it doesn't mean that much outside of the church. It doesn't mean much outside of these walls. We've taken that phrase, the Lamb of God, and we've dumbed it down, and we've neutered it. 
And to, to grasp the full significance of it, we got to go back to Genesis chapter 3. Um, Adam and Eve are in the garden, and they sin, all right? God told them not to do something, and just like when you tell your children not to do something, they do it. That's what happened with Adam and Eve. No one taught us how to be rebellious. It was something that we were born with. It's our sin nature. They rebel against God, right? They eat the fruit. Um, Satan deceived them and said, hey, God just is holding out on you. He's holding back. He knows that if you eat this, you're going to become like God. And so they take the fruit. They eat the fruit. The only problem is God said, if you eat it, you're going to die. You're going to die. Their sin demanded a payment. And what they really deserved was for God to like kill them on the spot. But the thought of killing them broke God's heart. So God said, I don't want to kill them. But something or someone has to pay. Something has to die. So the, this is what the Bible says, that God took an animal, right? And this is the first time that death is actually mentioned in the scriptures, that God took this animal. Scholars believe it was a lamb, a spotless, unblemished, perfect lamb, and he killed it, and he sacrificed it, and it made clothes for Adam and Eve, and it covered their guilt, their shame, their nakedness. In other words, something innocent had to die so something guilty could walk in freedom. Something innocent had to die, so something guilty could walk in freedom. And he introduced this concept in Genesis 3, but this runs throughout the entire Old Testament. This is called substitutionary atonement. And the Israelites had to every year, all right, in order to become, you know, make right with God, make good with God, they had to bring an unblemished, uh, spotless lamb to a priest. And the priest of the, the temple would sacrifice it once a year. And when that happened, when that lamb was killed, you would be made right with God. This was the sacrificial system that was in place. And this was repeated again every single year. But they were all looking forward to the day where one man would come that would be sent by God. His name would be the Messiah. And they would say that this one guy would ultimately pay for all of our sins, past, present, future, that this one guy would make us right before God. And one of the things that they called him was the Lamb of God. So when John says this, he says, look, the Lamb of God, he's saying, there's the guy. There's the guy that's going to reconcile man to God. There's the guy that's going to stand in the gap between you and God, that we were separated from him. But once and for all, this guy's going to stand in the gap. So this was huge, all right? I don't want you to miss how big this was. He pointed to Jesus. That was his message. And he said, there's the guy. By the way, that's the message of this church, too. That's the message of the, the global church, that we're supposed to point people to Jesus. Now, this is, a, this is an election year, and a lot of people tend to freak out during election time, right? And this, this is probably going to get me an email, but that's fine. That's fine. <laughs> Listen, we don't care when you send emails. Some of them are pretty funny, so go ahead. You can send it. It's fine. We make fun of you. I'm just saying. Um, <laughs> I, don't think, I don't think that a Christian is all Christians are Republicans, and by the way, I don't think all Christians are Democrats. A Christian is someone who follows Jesus, who loves and follows Jesus, period, all right? But during this time of year, people start to freak out. You know, who are you going to vote for? We start to say, you know, this Trump or Clinton. Here's what I want to say. It doesn't matter. Like, you should exercise your right to vote. I believe that with my whole heart. But in 200 years, it's not going to matter who is president. But what we do in this room in 200 years is going to matter. We don't talk a lot about politics 
Um, because we're, we're not, I, I just will never, you know, the only person getting pressed from this platform is going to be Jesus, right? Because he's the only one that can reconcile man to God. That's it, period. And what we do in this room is something that actually is going to matter in 200 and 300 years and so on. All right? So the question, again, is when did you meet Jesus? When did you meet Jesus? Because he looks, he points, he says, there is the Lamb of God. Look in verse 37. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. All right? They moved on. They're like, hey, you're saying that that's the guy? You're saying that that's the Messiah, that's the Son of God, he's the one that's gonna stand in the gap between you know, me and God and, and make me right with him? I'm following him, I'm out. You know, they're like, deuces, I'm gone. That's what they said. Verse 38, turning around. So imagine these two guys like going to follow Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and he asked this question, what do you want? Which I think is kind of funny because they probably hadn't, thought about it. They're like, oh, we're going to follow this guy. And now he sees us and he's asking us what, what it is that we want. And we don't know what we want. Do we want to give him a hug? What do we give him knuckles? What do we want to do with Jesus? I don't even know. And here's what they come up, come up with. They said, uh, rabbi, where are you staying? That's what they decided on. The one question that they're going to ask, you know, the son of God, the Messiah, where do you stay? Where do you stay, Jesus? Where do you stay? All right. It's funnier to me, I guess. Verse 39. He says, come and you're going to see. So they went and they saw where he was staying and spent that day with him. It was about the 10th hour. That would be about 4 p.m. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two and saw what John had said and who had followed Jesus. So you got these two guys, right? They're chilling with John the Baptist. John points to Jesus. There's the guy. There's the Lamb of God. He yells it. He gets excited about it. There's the one that's going to stand in the gap. I'm, I'm going to point you to Jesus. Andrew and the other guy take off. They follow Jesus. Jesus asks them, what do you want? And they say, well, we just want to follow you. And he says, come and see where I'm going. Come and follow. All that to say this. There was a day when Andrew could say, I met Jesus. I know without a shadow of a doubt. I know with 100% certainty that I met Jesus. There was a day that John pointed to Jesus, the Lamb of God. I recognized him for who he was, and I followed him, and I hung out with him, and now I've given my life to follow him. So the question again to you is, when did that happen for you? When did that happen for you? I don't know. I grew up in the church my whole life. I'm not really sure. Those aren't great answers. I would nail this one down. I would be 100% sure that you've chosen. And by the way, Jesus doesn't want us just to simply pray a prayer, all right? A, a one-time, you know, prayer. He wants us to pick up our cross daily and follow him. It's this lifetime of devotion and discipleship. That's what a follower of Jesus is. When did that happen for you? The second question is this. Since then, who have you introduced to Jesus? Since then, since you've met Jesus, you've given your life to follow him, now who have you introduced to him? Part of my dysfunction, and I think the reason why I relate you know, well with a lot of you is because you guys know that your, your pastor is just as messed up as many of you in this room. One of the things that I am terrible at is, is 
remembering names, all right? I'm just, I'm awful at it. And many of you probably think I'm a jerk sometimes because I keep asking you, have I met you before? You know, what is your name again? All this kind of thing. I come by it naturally, all right? I'm going to tell you a story. And if you thought I was a jerk before, you're really going to think I'm a jerk, okay? Just get that out there. But when my wife and I first started dating, it's already going to be bad, isn't it? <laughs> first started dating. We were talking about this just the other day. Um, and uh, see, I, I forget already. I'm just terrible. Um, first started dating, and I go to introduce her to a bunch of my college friends. We're at Asbury University. She starts coming there. I'm like, hey, guys, I'm so excited. I want to introduce you. And she's sitting up here, so I'm sweating a little bit. Um, I want to introduce you to my, to my new girlfriend, Becca. <laughs> Is that right? Is that true? And I didn't do it just once. And my friends tried to help me out. They tried to say, because they knew, you know, that was the old, the old girlfriend that wasn't so, you know, nice. And they, they, they tried to help me out. They're like, who? And I'm like, Becca. <laughs> Who? Becca. So it's like, you know, denying Jesus like three times kind of thing. That's what I got going on. <laughs> and I finally, I'm looking, I'm like, Kristen. You know, I'm like, oh my gosh. So I know I'm a bad person. All right. I'm terrible. I cannot remember names, but then I'll remember stupid stuff. Like if we, you and I ever go golfing and you're like, I don't remember what I got on hole number seven. All of a sudden I turn into the rain man. And I'm like, definitely five strokes. Definitely, definitely five strokes. That's what you got on hole number seven. <laughs> like I remember dumb things. We could have a conversation outside in the lobby and you could tell me, yeah, man, I went shopping and I had to choose between the red and the blue shirt, you know, three Tuesdays ago. And I choose the, chose the red shirt, but I like the blue shirt. And then you went and took it back. I'll remember that but I won't remember your name. And so Kristen and I, knowing this, knowing this, like we have this kind of code, this signal. Like if I'm ever talking with someone and she comes up and I don't introduce her within the first 30 seconds to this person I'm talking to, she knows it's because I have no idea, right? <laughs> Who I'm talking to. I say that to say, I can't introduce my wife to someone that I don't know their name. I can't do it. And I think it's the same problem in the church. I think there are many people, not, not, not everyone, but many people, the reason why we don't introduce people to Jesus is because maybe we don't really know him. We haven't really started that relationship with him. Maybe you prayed a prayer, but you haven't decided to daily pick up your cross and to follow him. So the question again is, who have you introduced to Jesus. This is what Andrew did. Um, I love this. He's fired up. Look at verse 41. It says this. I want you to underline it. The first thing Andrew did, underline that, the first, his first priority, all right? His first thing, the first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and to tell him, we found the Messiah that is Christ. Let's walk back through this verse and pick it apart. The first thing the, the first natural response of someone who's been introduced to Jesus, who has met Jesus, is they want to introduce other people to him. That's the natural response of anyone who's decided that they're going to follow Jesus. Throughout scripture, you see it time and time again. Someone who has met Jesus, they want to tell other people about him. Why? Write this down. Because found people find people. I love that. 
pastor friend of mine says that. Found people, find people. A found person will never sit and boast in the fact that he's been found while everyone else that he knows is going to hell. Doesn't happen. Found people want to get out there and find people and point people to the one who has saved them and rescued them. So the first thing that Andrew did was to tell, tell who did he tell? Not someone off the street, not someone that he didn't know. He told Peter. In other words, someone he already had a relationship with. Can I tell you something? The family member that doesn't know Jesus, the boss that doesn't know Jesus, the coworker, you know, the person in your life that doesn't know Jesus, that doesn't have a relationship with him, it's not an accident that they have a relationship with you. They are in your life. Christ follower, so you can point them to Jesus. Some of you are like, what, man, why do I work with these people? I can't stand these people. They drive me nuts because God called you to be the salt and the light and to point people to Jesus. That's why you are where you are. It's, it's easy, again, to stand on the street corner with this and start yelling at people, you know, that you don't know. That's easy. Most of us can do that. It's more difficult when we talk about the friend, the family member, the coworker that's in our life that knows us. Andrew went and talked to Peter, someone that he already had a relationship with. And from time to time, people will ask me, they'll say, you know, Pastor Colby, can you talk to my friend so-and-so, you know, that, that he's far from God, that he's doing life the hard way, that he really needs a lot of help? And my response most of the time is, no, you talk to him. You are in their life for a reason, for a purpose. And besides, you have the relationship with them, not me. So you talk to your friend. It's not by chance that God put them in your life. They're in your life so you can share Jesus with them. That's what Andrew did. He had a relationship with them. You, that friend of yours that's far from God, you lead them to Christ. You pray with them. But people will say, well, what if I get the wrong Prayer, what if I say the wrong words? I'm fairly certain that God's not concerned with a typo in your prayer, right? I don't think he's worried about that. It's not a magic prayer. It's not about the how, it's about the heart behind it. I was, uh, you know, one of the, 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 the times I got to go in and preach to a bunch of guys that were in the ARC rehab center, they would, they'd come up front and they'd pray. And I got to pray with this one guy one time who's just bawling, who's crying, who, who is ready to, to receive Christ. And this is what he prayed. He's like, Jesus, I'm not worth a damn. That's what he said. And people are saying, you know, you can't say that. I think you can. And I'm pretty sure that that prayer, you know, made it through. You don't have to have all the answers. You don't have to have it exactly right. It's not about the how. It's about the heart behind it. Man, why would I keep you from the opportunity to point your friend to Jesus? Like, you point him to Jesus. You talk to him about Christ. You invite him to come and meet Jesus, you invite him. Acts 17, 26 says this, that God chose the time and place that you would be born and put on this earth because he knew the exact time and place where you would have the greatest impact for the kingdom. Write that down. Look it up later. Pray over it. You are here during this time for a reason because there are people in your life that you need to point to Jesus. Now, here's where it gets dangerous. And here's where people will push back. They'll say, um, but Colby, if I tell my friends, you know, and my coworkers about Jesus, 
then they're going to start watching the way I live. You bet they will. And I want you to understand this. You will not change the world just by your beliefs. It's by your behavior. And people are watching. People are watching. They want to know that what you talk about, your actions actually line up with your words. You point people to Jesus, and then you show them who Jesus is. Jesus said that people will know, the world will know that we're Christians by what? By how we love each other. Not by how much you come to church, not by how much theological information you can sit and absorb in church, by how we love each other. He said this to Peter, hey, you've got to come meet this guy, you know, that I've just met. I spent the day with him. He's the Messiah. You got to get down here right now. And I love this too, because he didn't have all the answers. He had just met Jesus. And people often push back and freak out that they don't know enough information. They don't have it all figured out yet. But it doesn't matter. Found people, find people. Found people, find people. I know churches that would say this. Churches even in our community that say we don't really care to reach people. We don't really care to, to, to reach out and get people. We just want to study real deep. And we want to huddle together and pat each other on the back. The only problem with that is that that's not biblical Christianity. No time are we called to just huddle up on Sunday and say, great job, and then that's it, and tell the rest of the world you can go to hell because we don't care. That's not what we're called to do. Found people, find people. We're supposed to point people to Jesus. Matthew 4, 18. I want to read this um, on the screen. It says this. Uh, As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon and Peter, and called his brother Andrew, called Peter, and his brother Andrew, they were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. He says, come, follow, and I'll send you out to fish for people. Come and follow. The natural uh, reaction is that you'll be so concerned, he says, about other people that you're going to want to go fishing, that you're going to want to go out there and get the word out. You'll want them to follow Jesus too. Found people, find people. Skip over to Matthew chapter 9. In your Bible, uh, in verse 9, it says this. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. Immediately, he got up and took off and followed him. And here's where it gets crazy in verse 10. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house. See, what Matthew wanted to do was create an environment where his, his sinner friends, tax collector friends, could come and meet Jesus, he did whatever it took. This is called a Matthew party, if you've ever heard that before. He decided, well, if he changed me, then he can change my friends. And I'm going to create an environment where my friends can come and experience that for themselves. By the way, that's what we do here every single week. We create environments that will point people to who Jesus is. Verse 11 says this, when the Pharisees saw this, they asked the disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Don't miss this. Religious people always get mad when you create an environment where sinners can come to meet Jesus. It's the religious people, it's the spiritual elite who get mad. Andy Stanley said this, I love it. He said that the people who were most unlike Jesus liked Jesus, and the people who were supposed to be the most like Jesus are the ones that crucified him. 
are the ones that, that killed him, the religious elite. These are the guys, they sat around, they sat around in their huddles talking about theology and the, the, the deep theological nuances of this and that, and they wanted Jesus to come and attend their Bible study, but where was Jesus? He was hanging out with the sinners and the tax collectors. I love that. And the religious people, you know, got mad at him. Your, listen to me, your churched friend that goes to another church that you've invited here, they come here and they get mad and they say things like, where's the cross in this place? Or why isn't your pastor wearing a robe? First of all, I'm not a Jedi Knight. <laughs> I don't have a robe. Second of all, and maybe you've heard this too before, you know, about, about the cross. My response generally is this. Jesus said I had to take up my cross daily. And so I had to take it off the wall and I had to put it in my heart and carry it with me. The cross, and I'm not, I'm not on a, you know, some rampage, you know, to get your crosses removed or anything like that. No one knows more than I do the meaning of the cross and how much it means to me that my Savior died and hung lifeless on, on a cross for my sin. And I know that. But I don't believe we're supposed to use the cross as a nice centerpiece, you know, um, when it was a torture device. I often thought, you know, what if the disciples, you know, today, had, you know, that were doing these house churches and had actually seen Jesus crucified on a cross, came into our churches today and saw this torture device that Jesus was crucified on. Wonder what they would think. And again, no one understands the meaning of it more than I do. I just know that he didn't die so we could have a nice, you know, centerpiece. He died so that man could be reconciled to God. And so that's, that's what we preach. That's what we preach in this church. He died on the cross so we could be close to him. So we will never do church to impress the religious people or the already convinced. We will do church in a way that anybody in any circumstance, in any situation, facing anything can walk in these doors and we'll point them to who Jesus is. And by the way, just so you know, Elevate Church has been meeting for the past 235 Sundays and 234 out of the 235, at least one person have given their life to follow Jesus. That's awesome. That's why, that's why we do church, to point people to Jesus. He finishes in verse 12 and says, it's not the healthy who needs a doctor, it's the sick. Who have you introduced? Who have you introduced? The, the third question is this, the last question. Do I really believe that Jesus changes lives? Do I really believe that Jesus still changes lives? See, every now and then, you will have a life-altering, earth-shattering conversation that will change your life. I have one of these after I've been married with, with my, my wonderful wife, um, Kristen. Like, we've been married now. <laughs> Got the name right. You guys are pumped about that. That would have been really bad. It would have been so bad. Because last Sunday, I didn't tell you this, but last Sunday we had our 18-year anniversary, actually. So if I don't get it right now, I'm in trouble. I'm in trouble. Um, but I remember about seven years in, into our marriage, we had a, a life-changing conversation. And I, I was getting into this bad habit. And many, maybe many of you guys can relate to this. But she would go to bed at like 9 or 10 at night, and I would just stay up. 
and like watch stuff on TV, like stupid stuff. I didn't even care what it was. I'd stay up till midnight, one o'clock. By the time I went up to bed, she was asleep. And she said this, she said, Colby, if you go to bed when I go to bed, it's going to go better for you. <laughs> Change my life. <laughs> Change your life. So that's some advice for some of you guys in this room today. Every now and then, you have that life-changing conversation. When we meet Jesus, we understand that he changes us. Like, that's why we do what we do, because we understand only Jesus can change your heart. Like, we don't try to get people in and start pointing out everything that's wrong in their life. We get them in and, and point them to Jesus and allow Jesus to change their heart, to change their life. We start to become more and more like him. Andrew ran and he got Simon, brought him back to that place to meet Jesus, and then know what happened? He backed off. He backed off. Here's the pressure that many of you face. You'll say, well, if I bring someone to Elevate, if I bring someone to church, what happens? What happens if they don't, you know, get saved? What happens if they don't pray a prayer? Guess what? That's not on you. That's not on me. That's on God. God is the one that draws people to him. Verse 42 says he brought him to Jesus, and that's all he did. That's all he did. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said this, you are Simon, son of John. Translation, I know who you are. Like when you bring your friends who are far from God, guess what? God knows who they are. God meets them right where they are. He knows who they are. He says, you walked in here. You thought you're going to hide can't hide from me. I knew you the moment I created you. He says, I know who you are. Verse 42 continues, says, you will be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. See, Andrew got so fired up that he brought Simon to a place where he could meet Jesus, and Jesus changed his identity on the spot. That's happened to some of you in this room. You've had that encounter with God and he's changed you on the spot. And not only did he change his identity, he changed his, his purpose in life. And not only did he change his purpose in life, he changed his passion in life. And he said, come and follow me. And you know what, three years later, that guy that got introduced to Jesus, he was the first guy on the day of Pentecost to stand up and deliver a message, to deliver the gospel. And over 3,000 people, 3,000 people the Bible tells us, prayed and received Christ on that day because one guy that was found by God got so fired up that he had to introduce somebody to him. And that's what happened. So here's the question for you. Do you still believe that Jesus can change your heart? If so, the bonus question, what are you waiting for? Like really, what are you waiting for? You know people, friends and family members who are far from God that are just waiting for you to point them to Jesus. Waiting for you to tell them about this life that you've found. About the new life, about the fresh start that they can have only in Christ. They're sitting there waiting for you. Who's, who's waiting for you? Who's waiting for you? Here's what I want us to do. I want us to bow our heads today. And I want you right now to ask God this question. God, who is it that you would have 
me point to Jesus. Just sincerely ask him that. Chances are you already know who that is. The second question to ask him, God, will you give me the courage to do it? Would you give me the courage to do it? There are people in this city, in this community that are far from you, God, that are desperately searching for something. And I know you want to use us, God. I I know you want us to, to be the church that reaches out and to tell people about you and to point people to you. Now, while you're bowing, every head bowed, every eyes closed, maybe when I said, when did that happen for you? When did you make that decision? When did you meet Jesus? And your response would have been, I grew up in the church. I'm not sure. I think I did, but I really don't know. I want you today, I desperately want you today to nail that down, to get that right, to get on your mark, to say, Jesus, I surrender it all to you. And it's not about you making a one-time decision. It's about you living a life of devotion and daily choosing to pick up your cross and to follow him. Maybe you made an emotional response to Jesus one day, but you haven't been living that way. My prayer is today that as God is drawing you to him because that's his job, that he's brought you here again, once again, to hear how much he loves you and cares for you, doesn't want you to do life apart from him. That he sent his son, the lamb of God, the one to stand in the gap, to take your place, to take my place, to cover my sin and your sin once and for all. When did that happen for you? If that hasn't happened for you today, God is drawing you again to him. And I want to lead you in a prayer. Again, it's not a magic prayer. It's the way we communicate with God. And it actually doesn't matter if you say it. What matters is if you believe it, if you mean it in your heart. Pray this prayer with me. If that's you, you can pray it out loud. You can whisper it to God. Jesus, today I come. I come. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for your sacrifice, which has covered my sin. Today, I receive you, Jesus, into my heart. I choose to live my life for you from this day on to follow you with everything that I have. I surrender it all. Tell them that again. I surrender it all to you. Jesus, I confess you as Lord and Savior. And I believe that you died for me, giving me new life. And today, I choose it. Come inside my heart. Make me new in Jesus' name. With every head bowed, every eyes closed, if that was your prayer today, would you just raise your hand wherever you are in this room? Just say, today I confess, I got on my mark, I got it right. Yeah, hold it up high, be proud about that. That's awesome, praise God. So many people in this room saying, today, Jesus, my life is yours. That's so good. You can put your hands down. Jesus, for those today that made that commitment, I pray that you would continue to burn within them this passion and this desire to follow after you, that every day they would take up that cross and follow you, that this would not be a one-time decision. But God, they would be disciples of yours from this point 
on in Jesus name we pray amen amen church that's big that's huge come on people today all over this room getting on their mark that's so good praise God for you amen we're always encouraged to know that God is using Elevate to bless people's lives. If you have a story about how God is working in your life, share your story online at elevateerie.tv.